Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. to tell you the funniest thing okay so we have family here right mm-hmm. and um so ava goes she is going around and asking everybody do you like black friday what yeah it was super strange and um i don't know if she's like secretly listening to this podcast or <laughs> if she's eavesdropping or whatever that feels very on brand for her <laughs> it does and they were like, yeah, we don't do that. That's dangerous. And she's like, good, because I love you. And Black <gasps> Friday is bad. Oh, I think she is. Adelaide actually tried to search for the podcast on her Spotify that she has upstairs. Oh, it's no. Obvious. I mean, it's obviously like she can't. It's not. She can't. Um, but she tried. And she she admitted that she did want to secretly listen to my podcast. And I was like, no, baby, really don't. I can't keep up with these kids. I cannot keep up with technology. It's so Mm-mm. weird. I just deleted YouTube off the TV because. Oh, God, fuck YouTube. Oh, Josie wound up in some weird, weird uh-huh. Minecraft videos that were. I was like, oh, man, it's making me uncomfortable. Yep. Yep, that's why I got deleted here, too. <laughs> so, yeah, not doing that. Yeah, uh, no, we tried all kinds of different restrictions. We were like, well, you know, you can only watch certain channels. You can only watch it with someone around. And then it just, it got so weird. It was just like, you know what, no. <laughs> I can't. No. It's too hard to monitor. So I'm yeah. just like. And a I'll lot just... of it, I mean, it looks fine. You have to catch it at the wrong moment. You know, you're walking around cleaning and then it's your too house or whatever. Late. Yeah, you're walking around cleaning the house and you're like, this seems fine. And then the next thing you know fucking peppa pig's head just got chopped off yeah you got like a creeper like Mm -hmm. porkin and axolotl like (laughs) it's so strange like why it's fast it's fast i mean we had all this drama about momo that may never have been real but weird shit on youtube is definitely real (laughs) did we find out if that was momo or mamo it was definitely Momo. I don't I don't remember if we were ever supposed to be launching an investigation into this, but I'll tell you right now it was Momo. Yeah, but No. That just, yes. I mean, okay. isn't she supposed to be a mom? Okay, hold on. I mean, she's a fucking bird witch. I don't know. But she's a mom. So it's she... Momo. No. And hold she on. eats brats. Who told you that? <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely Momo. God, she's creepy. I forgot how creepy she was. She's on the brat diet. Oh, God, that again. Yes. Melanie. Is it Momo? It is Momo. It is conclusively Momo. I'm looking at the internet right now. Oh, man, it is everything on the internet these days. I mean, that is, she is literally just an internet creation. So, yes. (laughs) Dude, in some pictures, she's got some tiggle bitties. That's what I'm saying. She's a mom. And chicken legs. Shit, that's what I'm going to look like after this baby's born. She's still, I mean, 
I could see this thing a thousand times and it is still unsettling. Yeah, and it's still Momo, huh? She's got nice collarbones, though. Why is she next to a picture of Kim Kardashian? I mean, why not? But look at one of the ones where you can see her collarbone. She's got pretty collarbones. She has beautiful collarbones. I have a thing with pretty collarbones. It's like a whole thing. It's going to be Mamo for me. Well, I mean, it's not Mamo, but I, I support you. What were they calling it for a while? Alternate facts or something? Yeah, I'm a, I am I like alternate facts. Okay. Are you an alt-right kind of girl? No. <laughs> Stop. You almost got Jerry excited. <laughs> Part of me believes he really still is here. He might still be here. Jerry, are you still here with us? Have we have we helped yet? Were you at the Capitol? Were you at the insurrection? Oh, that's probably why we haven't heard from him for a little while. He's probably in jail. They've arrested so many people. It's awesome. Including Jerry. We need to check and see if any of them are called Jerry. <laughs> Jerry! <laughs> Where are you? Oh, God. Fuck you, Jerry. Mm. Fuck you, Jerry. <laughs> I got my Christmas tree up. Melanie. I actually put it up a couple weeks ago. I just keep forgetting to mention it to you. I'm pretty sure you did mention it to me. Did I? Yeah. Also, you're making sounds. Stop it. <laughs> no <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah no, i'm pretty sure you did mention it i'm i'm coming around to the reality of christmas i am not a christmas scrooge i am a thanksgiving scrooge as we all know but i'm not actually a christmas scrooge i just like it in its proper place and it is legitimately almost time for its proper place so i'm 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 getting there all right the tree will be up next week I've had mine up for a couple of Oh, weeks what are you now. doing for Thanksgiving? I guess we should probably touch on that because this episode drops on Wednesday. <laughs> well, normally we go visit my Aunt Carolyn in Arkansas um, okay. at her house for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Kind of just did that, huh? Well, so last year we didn't get to go because of COVID. We're all, we're all vaxxed and ready to go, but... Aunt Carolyn's having eye surgery, and I am yeah. not trying to roll up to her house with five kids. There's you know. a very sexy song on TikTok about being vaxxed, waxed, and wearing slacks. <laughs> so that's that's you now. You're vaxxed, waxed, and wearing slacks. I'm wearing no pants. Thank you very much. Oh, damn. But are your eyebrows waxed? Uh, you have your little pot? Yeah, I have my pot. Okay. Your pot that you took with you in a hurricane. <laughs> So, yeah, we're just going to – um well, yeah, because of the hurricane as well, the kids, they miss like a month of school. So because of that, uh, all our holidays are shaved to be yeah, very thin. true. So they don't really have much time off for Thanksgiving. They go to school tomorrow, and then they'll have Thanksgiving off, and then they're back to school on Monday. Dang. Yeah. So – So what are you going to do? We're just going to hang out at home, uh, maybe – Throw a movie on the projector. Eat Throw some popcorn. an alligator on the grill. Yep. It sounds sounds like your kind of day. It's my kind of day. <laughs> We're going to Thanksgiving with my mom and family. I love your mom. I do too. And I will tolerate Thanksgiving. <laughs> we all know how I feel about this. Including You're going to get into it? No. No, I'm not. Okay. I'm 33 years old. If I'm not into it by now, it's not going to happen. No. Are you going to tell us why you hate it? Oh, no. I just fucking hate it. 
There was like I'm oh no, no that's why story. that's why I don't eat turkey. That's a separate thing. Oh. <laughs> I don't eat turkey. I haven't eaten turkey since I was, I don't know, seven or eight. Did someone kill your turkey? Someone might as well have. Oh no. Is this your villain origin story? <laughs> yes. It really. Is. Oh no. <laughs> what was the turkey's name? Okay. It wasn't a turkey. I mean, it wasn't, there was no real turkey. I feel like if I don't tell you this, my mom's just going to put in the horrible ghouls group anyway, so I might as fucking well. She just told my kid the story on the phone the other day. She came, my child, my six-year-old, came downstairs making fun of me about this. And I'm like, how do you know that? And she's Mm. like, I just got off the phone with Pookie and she told me all about it. Pookie. Pookie. (laughs) So when I was a wee lass, my mother read me a story called A Turkey for Thanksgiving. And it was about a turkey who gets invited to Thanksgiving by his woodland friends. I think maybe it was a moose. I might be making that. It was was some kind of, you know, woodlandy creature. And it got invited to Thanksgiving. And it was very excited. And I, if I, if I remember correctly, the plot was that then it got really upset because it realized what that probably meant. And it was so sad and it felt so silly because it had been so excited. I believe in the end it goes to Thanksgiving and it was totally not that. And it really was just invited as a guest. But I was so fucking sad about that as a child. Like, unbelievably sad. And I swore I would never eat a turkey because it was so mean. (laughs) Um, And uh, I'm 33 and I still have it. Oh, my gosh. And I hate the whole turkey theme which is really stupid because i mean i eat meat i'm not a vegetarian (laughs) wow and uh yeah it's it's been 20 plus years maybe 25 yeah a story like that would give me anxiety too yeah and i mean people give me shit about it every every thanksgiving mostly not anymore really i i can't do it (laughs) What's with all these demented kids books? Like I don't know. I mean, it, the it, Giving it, Tree was that? Yeah, the yeah, Rainbow the Fish or whatever. Fucked up. What's wrong with the Rainbow? Oh yeah, the Rainbow Fish is fucked up. Actually, Rainbow Fish is super fucked up. It's like let's let me rip off my skin. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. No. It's I like mean, I some do. Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I do think it had a happy ending. And I'm pretty sure the point of it was not that. But I was just so sad about the concept that this is like a whole holiday where turkeys might want to participate, but they only are just going to get eaten. There's pictures of them on the plates. It's so sad. I hate it. So I do hate that. I generally speaking don't like Thanksgiving food. And I mean, I do love my family, but like I don't have a bunch of -of out-of-state family or anything. It's not like I need a special occasion to see them, really. I can see them You don't like mashed potatoes and gravy? I mean, yeah, but again, I could have that for dinner any Tuesday. No, you can't. I can't. I do. <laughs> deviled eggs. Okay, that's fair. I do love deviled eggs. Um, I don't like stuffing. I don't like cranberry sauce. I don't really... You would like my cranberry like, sauce. No, I wouldn't. I don't really like pie all that much. I certainly am Bet. not going to eat turkey. You would fucking like... Psh, you would <laughs> love my cranberry sauce. This feels dirty. <laughs> Good. It will make you feel dirty. You'll be like, please put more in my mouth. Oh, my God. It's so good. Wow. Yes. Wow. Your cranberry sauce brings all the girls to the yard? Yes. Okay. 
It's not any of that yellow or yellow. Ugh. Yellow. I meant jello. That oh. jelly, like wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. I think that's how my grandmother likes it. She likes it with the can mark still on it. And I'm not trying to like cranberry sh- sauce shame people. Like, it's okay. You'll, You'll shame the- people for any fucking other thing. You want the ridges? It's good. But I'm telling you, I do an amaretto orange cranberry okay. sauce. Okay. You had me at amaretto. I love amaretto. It will blow your mind. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. I mean, it might. I'm open to that. But yeah, I mean, mostly I don't like the food. I don't like the turkey theme. I love my family, but I don't really need to cook for six hours to see my family. I could just see them and have a pizza and we'd all be happier. So yeah, fuck it. But I will. Oh, God, I always end up enjoying the company of my loved ones, at least. Well, there's that. Yeah. So we have to do brackets first, but I do have a Thanksgiving themed episode for you today. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> Let's do brackets so we can get to it because it's a doozy. I wonder if anybody has this for their Thanksgiving meals. One of them, maybe. Um, not this one. Okay, so it's city chicken. <laughs> city chicken. I think I know something bad about that. Okay. Versus funeral potatoes. Okay. I bet there's a lot of funeral potatoes at Thanksgiving. I mean, not that I've ever encountered, but I mean, there should be. What exactly is city chicken? It's something really bad, isn't it? I knew you were going to ask me that. I don't it looks fucking like eat ke- that. Like kebabs or skewers. Okay, but I really think I recently read something where it was like something yucky. Hold on, let me Google it. I think it's like some fucked up part of the chicken. It's looks like boneless pork cubes of meat. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I guess it is just yeah, it's like pork kebabs. I mean, the the descriptors are nice cubes of meat. Small bits of meat. Usually I mean, it pork, sounds fuel. fine, but funeral potatoes are lit. They're so good. Yeah. I mean, and I'm a sucker for texture. I, I like a little crunch. So, yeah. I mean, funeral potatoes, we're always going to win this. Yeah. There was no doubt. No. There was I was no going to get big mad if you were going <laughs> to pick these. No, I'm really not sure yet what's going to be able to top uh, top top uh funeral potatoes oh i already know they've got a good chance at going to the end i hope you're not gonna say buckeyes because that's not true hey we're not there yet (laughs) my buckeye opinions will come out early (laughs) we're just gonna have to make a whole episode about that yeah i do have a lot to say (laughs) i have a lot to say about buckeyes well should we get to it yeah, what's your Thanksgiving episode? All I know, right. but do you want to tell everybody else, or are we <laughs> going to do like a build up? Um, I mean, not that much of a build up. It's it's not one of my classic bait and switches that I so love doing. Well, I'll just shut up and like. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was going to possibly do because here's the thing: you may recall that I had crowdsourced some ideas on my next episode in the horrible ghouls group like two weeks ago yep because i really thought i had my shit together and then i spent two weeks puking and it yeah, it didn't really go that way um but i went through those and i was like maybe maybe i'll do the bomb she was like in texas she, she was like all your all your suggestions suck <laughs> i'm not all doing of any suck. of them no. <laughs> no no it was it was good but i really did want to do the texas bonfire one And I kind of started researching it. And then I was like, somebody sent me a picture of something that they had going on for Thanksgiving. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, no, that's right now. And my episode drops the day before. 
Mm-hmm. So I had to scrap that whole concept. And I ended up with this and I probably, we have had so many requests to cover this. This is definitely one of our most requested things that yep. we have had. And we would have covered it eventually, but I really believe it would have been you. <laughs> I mean, would you agree that this is such a Melanie episode? It's ridiculous. It's very much a Melanie episode. Yeah, it's very much a Melanie episode. Like, I feel a little awkward covering this. Because I'm actually really excited to sit back and listen to a Melanie, Melanie episode? episode. Yeah, that's how I felt about your Lighthouse episode. So I guess this is my my repayment for that. It's Freaky Friday. Yeah. Yeah, it is really because that, that Lighthouse episode was was a Brienne episode. So now you get a Melanie episode. Woohoo! That's Thanksgiving. I mean, it's kind of Thanksgiving themed. You Google Thanksgiving disasters, you're just going to pull up listicles of people who burn their fucking turkeys. It's it's not, it's not Thanksgiving in that manner, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, buckle your seatbelt. In the late 1920s, the country was thirsty. Thirsty (laughs) for sweet, illegal alcohol. Prohibition had been in full swing since the 1920s, and industrious Americans found as many ways around it as they're currently finding around weed in illegal states. And 100 years from now, someone will be doing a podcast on how pointless and counterproductive that was. (laughs) One way was the speakeasy. Super hush-hush establishments that required some serious espionage shit to get in, from literal secret handshakes to whispered passwords. The mafia at the time had its hand in everything, but the origin of the alcohol itself varied. And I'm going to give you full disclosure here. I probably shouldn't because this is the kind of shit that I could always just keep in my head that someone will end up having a bad opinion about, but I'm not gonna. Um, Which is that I deeply don't care about mafia stuff, like not even a little. As like a true crime genre, I could not give less of a fuck about mafia stories. Hmm. Hmm, you sound shocked. I am a little bit, to be really? honest with you. Huh. Yeah. Don't, aren't you in there a big mafia guy where you're from? Uh, Probably. I mean, I think there's a bunch, but that doesn't mean we're friends or anything. No. What were you saying? No. The, um, the Dillinger the- thing with the train robber. Oh, okay. The, gotcha. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's. I, no. Like, as you know, my favorite podcast in the world is Let's Go to Court, other than ours, of course. <laughs> and I mean, I've listened to every single episode in their back catalog back to the very, very beginning, except for the like two that are about mob bosses. I just don't give a fuck. They are the only ones I've ever skipped. Oh, they're so good, though. I mean, yeah, well, I guess that's what would have been different if this had been a Melanie episode. There would have been more mafia stuff because there is some mafia stuff in this, but... I just I couldn't get into it at length because I just don't care about the mafia. And there's lots of other stuff. I appreciate it. So anyway, the mafia had its hand in everything that was going on, but the origin of the alcohol itself did vary. And a lot of the times, because it was not made in, you know, some bougie distillery, it tasted terrible. (laughs) So speakeasy owners cut it with soda or juice, which is the origin story of mixed drinks. Mm-hmm. which is completely irrelevant to our story, but I thought it was cool. So now you know, too. Uh, I I would have assumed mixed drinks appeared much earlier than that, but that seems to have been where it came from. In 1927, two Boston orchestra leaders decided to open a club, Mickey Alpert and Jacques Renard. And Renard means fox in French, so that's a very cool last name. It is a cool last name. Yes. As risk-averse gentlemen, they were not looking to do anything sketchy. 
They fully believed that the quality of the music and the atmosphere would stand on its own, attracting law-abiding citizens for an evening of entertainment. (laughs) They weren't really in charge of things, though. (laughs) Mickey and Jacques had mob money behind them, as everything did in Boston in the 1940s. So to put it lightly, they weren't fully in control of their creative vision if it differed from the people who really owned it. And the mafia is famously not exactly law-abiding. And the mafia saw a bigger money-making opportunity turning the place into a speakeasy. And you may think that's how it turned into a speakeasy and sort of, but not exactly, because Mickey and Jacques were not just going to roll over. They made the bold decision to go it alone without the financial backing of their sketchy investor, which is impressive, I think. Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, it did not pan out and they were very quickly bankrupt and forced to sell the club to Charles King Solomon, one of the most notorious mob bosses of the era. I wonder how they went bankrupt. I I don't think anything sketchy. I think it was just the cost of keeping a club afloat. I think Mm -hmm. that pretty much everything had the mafia behind it at that time. And they were just trying to form a fucking independent label with this thing. And it, yeah, it didn't work that way. (laughs) So the new owner did exactly what they hadn't wanted to and promptly turned the place into a speakeasy. Charles, the new owner was an all-around bad dude. He had a history of running most of the illegal alcohol and gambling in New England, trafficking morphine and cocaine, breaking and entering, and in the words of one article, running prostitutes. I tried to think, I thought for so long, like a stupidly amount of time, for a better way to say running prostitutes. (laughs) Right. And uh, I I don't know. So so we're just going to go with the source materials wording on that. So the shady ass ownership made the place the go-to spot for gangsters to drink. Charles owned the speakeasy for a few years until one night in 1933, he went out gallivanting with his bros until he was followed into the men's room by four dudes who were decidedly not his bros and shot to death, leaving the speakeasy up for grabs along with probably half of Boston because he was a major mob boss. His lawyer Barney Walansky took ownership of the club and everything was fine because obviously the lawyer for one of history's most famous mob bosses is a completely upstanding citizen. (laughs) Prohibition would end just 11 months after Charles was shot to death. So that aspect wasn't really an issue for Barney for all that long. Barney himself was deeply corrupt and very well connected, including major ties to the mayor. But what he wanted for the nightclub was pretty straightforward. He wanted a slick, profitable business that did not fuck around. So that's what he turned it into. He turned it into something polished and sanitized, choosing performers and decor that would attract a different, more pleasant crowd than its rough around the edges speakeasy days. (laughs) He staffed the club with low-wage teenagers and street ruffians, and he recruited the original owner with the cleaner vision, Mickey, to MC. Oh, yeah. I mean, he just wanted he he just he wanted something very mainstream. He wanted something. He was where, classing up the joint. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't classy. He was a piece of shit, but he just wanted it to be a popular nightclub that made a lot of money. So he was just kind of thinking through every aspect 
of it and where he could cut costs. And there were lots of places he could cut costs. He rethought how the maze-like building should be laid out. Barney was absolutely not messing around when it came to people skipping out on their tabs with his new vision. But there were a lot of exits and a lot of ways for people to slip through. So that needed to be addressed. And addressed it was. Barney made sure that most of those doors were locked. And even better, some of them he hid in fancy drapery. There was an emergency exit that was a bit of a problem, so he simply bricked over it. Like he, he actually bricked over it. He he bricked over it, yeah. Mm. Yeah. He was like, fuck your emergency. I have an emergency called you paying your bill. That reminds me of my Aunt Betty. Oh, why? Rest in heaven, Aunt Betty. Oh, God. So, <laughs> oh, Aunt Betty. She's the oldest. Did she die in a fire? No, she didn't. She did not. She passed away from old age. Okay, Um, I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) um, But so she lived in Arizona and um, every couple of years she decided she wanted her front door in a different spot. So they would essentially brick over it and, you know, drill a new door. And she did this for, gosh, my whole life. I mean, you never knew where the front door was going to be when you visit her. That, she, that's one of the weirdest stories I've heard from you. Really? I mean, it's up there. What? The, who the fuck does that? I don't know. It's. I always thought it was pretty strange. Yeah, it is. That's not a thing. But it's a thing for Barney. <laughs> but he didn't build a new one. Like Barney Betty. and Betty. Yeah, no. Barney just bricked over it and called it a day. He took a similarly loosey-goosey approach to all aspects of safety, such as maintaining the fire retardant treatment that the drapery needed periodically and turning a very blind eye to overcrowding. Mm. This was kind of alarming for a lot of reasons, one of them being that thanks to wartime freon shortages, the AC was being operated using the highly flammable methyl chloride. Barney, like I said, was besties with the mayor. So there was a lot he could skate by with. And he also got certain perks, like having his business taxes cut in half. But, I mean, the atmosphere wasn't as much like a, you know, doorless prisoner as that may make it sound. The club was called Coconut Grove with an A, C-O-C-O-A-N-U-T. And I hate that. (laughs) <laughs> I hate it too. It makes my eye twitch. Yes. And I have had to type it so many fucking times. And I mean, it's just my notes that only I'm reading. I could have definitely just typed it the correct way, but I can't. I can't do it. Oh, I'm the same way. I was just going to ask. I was like, you know, nobody sees those. I know. My shit is formatted and grammatically correct. And like, I will notice an extra space and have to fix it. I It's, it's ridiculous. I spent <laughs> too long in college. So his name Coconut Grove, and they leaned into that vibe with the decorations big time. It was swanky as fuck. It attracted celebrities regularly who apparently when they walked in would get their names announced. And I feel like that would be a much less popular feature now, but I don't know. I just feel like celebrities are always trying to be real low key. Well, back then, I think ego was so huge i mean i think ego's still huge but i don't know i guess they wanted to have their names announced maybe i mean i i I assume if they really didn't it wouldn't have been so popular 
The roof could be rolled away with an electric mechanism in nice weather. And the ceilings were decorated with blue satin canopies during the other seasons. The walls were covered in bamboo material and more of the blue satin draperies. What could possibly go wrong? It sounds sexy as fuck, to be honest. I mean, it gets sexier. We're getting there. (laughs) We're really on the same page. Because there's a part later in this that's really horrible. And I think it's kind of (laughs) hot. So the walls were covered in bamboo material. I said that. The columns were disguised as huge palm trees. The coconuts were the light fixtures. Very, um, what's that one? Very Rainforest Cafe vibes for me with that, but overall not. Leatherette furniture added a sophisticated vibe. And there was a lounge in the basement with the same, like, theme and much less light. Mm, Now that's hot. (laughs) The Grove had dancing, live music, floor shows, I feel like I had a general concept of what a floor show was, but I did want to know exactly what it entailed. So I fell down an endless rabbit hole with like a really weird amount of fat shaming about 1940s floor shows. And I found that they seem pretty similar to what went on at the Tropicana and I Love Lucy. Kinda. Maybe. Hmm? I don't know. So did you never watch I Love Lucy? No, I did. I'm just trying to, I mean, are you talking about a specific episode? No. No, just like, you know, the Tropicana, like they had those shows, that kind of thing. Man, it's been a long time. It has. It's I'm going to hate myself tomorrow when I, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. You know where Ricky worked and he was like the band leader and he. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and she was always real... trying to come be in the show. I feel big dumb right now. <laughs> didn't Let's even take till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to wait. Okay. That was fast. So Thanksgiving weekend of 1942 was a huge one for the Coconut Grove. The U.S. had entered World War II 11 months earlier, and the city was flooded with soldiers home on leave. It was their first Thanksgiving leave since the beginning of it. The club had booked legendary female impersonator Arthur Blake, which is yet another rabbit hole on whether this was just an old-timey term for drag queen, but... It seems not to be. In fact, there seems to be some bad blood between the two communities. But Arthur was apparently an LGBTQ icon, so I don't fucking know. It really doesn't matter, but I really wanted to know. So do with that what you wish. (laughs) And there was some big sports ball thing happening that weekend in Boston that was like a huge fucking deal. And there was supposed to be a celebratory party at the Coconut Grove, but then somebody lost in this like big, crazy upset. Sports Um, ball? Are you talking about like? I don't know. Baseball? Football? Some sports ball. (laughs) I I didn't make that up. It's sports ball, and it it was real shocking to men. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that had happened. So all those sports ball fans were in town, and all these men were home on leave. They were desperate for a night out with their girlfriends. People were rejuvenated by the long holiday weekend. They were ready to cut loose. And the sky was the limit on patronage at one of the city's most popular spots. But not the sky so much as building codes was more the theoretical limit. The Coconut Grove could hold a maximum of 460 people safely. It was not. That's a small club. Yeah. I mean, it it was kind of like winding and mazy in there, but I mean, it wasn't huge. 
But it could hold 460 safely if you count anything as safe in a building that was a bigger fire hazard than Bobby Nash's drug den. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> that's that's generous of you. <laughs> but fuck it. The place had been standing for years without incident. And you know if Barney was going to be fine with 460, he was going to be fine with 500. And if he's going to be fine with 500, what's 800? <laughs> and, and I mean, if 800 is fine, you might as well just go for a nice round thousand. And once you've hit a thousand, I mean, why stop there? Cram in at least a few more. And if anything happens, you can just dry your tears with the piles of cash you'd be pulling in with that many patrons. Now, that really is butts to nuts. <laughs> it will be fine. And I mean, really, it was the last thing on Barney's mind since he himself was at the hospital recovering from a heart attack. Who was really overseeing this? Who the fuck really knows? But one way or another, the Coconut Grove was jam-packed with over a thousand souls on November 28th, 1942, two nights after Thanksgiving. When people got there, reservations were just a mess in the chaos and the dining area was jammed so tight you couldn't walk through the tables without walking sideways like anywhere. And you will probably be shocked to hear that it was not actually fine. They had a lovely young woman who, according to the cover of one of her vinyl records, was known for her piano and intimate sounds with the most 1940s name of all time, Goody Goodall. <laughs> it cannot be her name, but I could not fucking find her real name. Anymore. It can't be that. But she was performing in the basement lounge. And she was a classic beauty. She had her hair in victory roll curls, radiant smile. And she must have been a sight performing her act on the revolving stage of the Melody Lounge. The basement itself may not have been rated for a specific number of people, but it could comfortably seat about 100. And it had about 200 crammed in. Barney's nephew was working as the bartender. He happened to be in his fourth year of medical school. And I think I saw that he was working there on weekends. So you can imagine the atmosphere. It's after 10 o'clock at night. There's a beautiful woman singing beautiful songs in a dimly lit lounge. She was singing bell-bottom trousers, which I saw the title of that. And I was like, really? That seems kind of like ahead of its time. Like it's more of a 70s thing. But it was a love song about a woman and her sailor sweetheart in his uniform. There were dozens of pent-up sailors and their girlfriends who could hardly keep their hands off of each other. And things were really heating up between one couple. And the man had a perfect solution to the lack of privacy. He would just unscrew the light bulb, illuminating their area, and be able to get even closer in the darkness. It was very dim down there in the first place. And I think that's kind of sexy. It is sexy. Yeah, right? Okay, I was not sure if you would see my point here. I think it's totally sexy i do too i don't know i just i remember quite well that feeling of being just naughty desperate for any amount of privacy you know like when you are with someone and for whatever reason you just you cannot be alone and you will do whatever the fuck you can to be alone and i could see being impressed by somebody who's just like you know what problem solved come here i i think i would have been into that (laughs) But we unscrew, then we screw. Ooh, damn. I hope he used that line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The staff at the lounge 
or not as turned on by me <laughs> or as turned on as me. <laughs> as soon as they noticed this, they sent a young bus boy, 16-year-old Stanley, to be the fucking buzzkill and fix the situation. Poor Stanley. Oh, Stanley. Yeah, well, you know about Stanley. You say, oh, Stanley, now you have no idea. And the solution that the sailor had 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 been a little bit too effective. Um, Stanley couldn't see well enough to fix the unscrewed light bulb, which was a coconut sconce inside of the fake palm tree. And he got up on a chair to get closer, but it was still too dark to see, which I do think says a lot about the lounge atmosphere that removing one of many lights could make it this freaking dark. Like he couldn't even find the socket to screw it back in, which... Jesus. So since he couldn't just pull out his phone and use the flashlight, all young Stanley could really do to complete the task was light a match, which he did. And then he tightened the bulb and the lighting improved. All right, but not from the bulb. The palm fronds next to the fabric draped ceiling had ignited from Stanley's match. Ugh. Yeah. They were probably dry as fuck, too. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they dusty. How could they not be? <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't think I actually put this in there, but there had been a recent remodel. And I mean, they were just doing whatever the fuck with flammability. And I, it was one of those perks of knowing a mayor things is that he just did absolutely whatever he wanted. So waiters rushed the flames with water and um, like seltzer and stuff. But everyone could see how easily the fabric on the ceiling would go up if it caught the flames. And it was spreading through the tree at warp speed. And the tree was like ceiling height or very close to it. They really needed to keep it away from the ceiling. So two employees pulled the entire tree out of the corner and pulled off some plywood from the ceiling in the process. Unfortunately, the ceiling was actually a false ceiling. And the plywood ripping off exposed a little bit of the space above the visible ceiling, which is the kind of space that fires love. Mm -hmm. The entire area, like, instantly went up in flames, taking the fabric on the ceiling with it. As the fabric burned, pieces of burning fabric rained down on the patrons. People tried to make it up the stairs, but the fire came with them, burning their hair as they fought to reach higher ground. And the med student nephew hesitated. His job required that he oversee the cash register if there's any kind of emergency or disruption so that, like, if somebody got into a fight, nobody could just jump in and take advantage of the opportunity. But finally, he ended up abandoning post. And there was one older Irish woman who didn't. And somebody saw her there staying with the money and they were like, just take the money and go. Like, this is really bad. And she refused to leave the money and she died. Um, a man in a gray suit told patrons that they couldn't leave without paying their tabs, which has such oh, like fuck off. Yeah, such like Titanic Captain Smith, that's White Star Line property energy. <laughs> oh man. Actually, no, it wasn't Captain Smith. It was some random guy in that. Um I don't think that he got far with that. Like I don't think that he was really particularly responsible for anything that happened but apparently there was a guy trying to stop people from leaving the med student nephew dipped a rag in a pitcher and he breathed through the wet cloth which is what ultimately kept him alive and another man's life was saved because he urinated on a napkin and held it over his mouth well, all right yeah um one of the articles that i used for research said 
Weiss, which is the, the med student nephew, Weiss then realized that the screaming and crying that filled the lounge subsided into only moaning and scratching. <gasps> and this in turn was followed by an eerie foreboding silence. Oh, the silence is the worst. I don't know. I think the scratching is the worst. He saw the stampede up the stairs and he crouched behind the bar, way down low by the floor with the wet rag over his mouth, waiting for a safe time to make a break for it. But when he jumped over the bar, he found that there was no floor, just corpses, which he had to force himself to walk over to make it to the stairwell. And I will just warn you, if you don't have the stomach for anything that you may foresee happening in an event like this, it's going to get rough. (laughs) It's going to get real rough. Upstairs, guests were in for some pretty terrible times as well. In the first moment, some patrons heard people yelling fire, and they thought they were yelling fight, which personally would have gotten me over there to rubberneck way faster than fire. (laughs) But most people didn't move at first. The place was so, so full. Like, just moving from the table to the bathroom was an odyssey. And I mean, like, if you don't see a fire and you just hear someone saying fire, I mean, I don't know, maybe they're going to put it out. Like, do you really need to stampede your ass out of the building just because somebody says fire? I mean, yes, yes, probably yes. But like, people didn't think that. So they're like, maybe it's just a little fire. Maybe it's under control. Maybe we don't really need to do anything. But they were wrong. I mean, it, it wouldn't have mattered, but they were so wrong. It started with a fireball exploding through a doorway. It shot straight through the dining area with unbelievable speed. The fire's speed was shocking. It took less than five minutes for the entire building to be consumed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Even if the place hadn't been wildly overfilled, I mean, it just moved faster than any person could. The smoke took over so fast that some people never even left their seats or even set down their drinks before losing consciousness and dying. That's eerie. That's yeah. so eerie. They were found in their chairs, drinks in hand, sitting up. <sighs> the lights went out pretty quickly. A Navy lieutenant who was there when it started said, quote, it seemed that when the lights went out, everyone's intellect went with them. Which is mean, but right, you know, knowing what we know about crowd panics and crushing events and that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, I could see that, but also, wow, Dick. The ones who were able to fight through the initial onslaught of flames dropped to the floor and crawled over the broken dishes and glass on the ground to find an exit. But Barney had seen to it that only one public exit existed in the entire sprawling building. Mm. Yeah. Some exits existed in employees-only areas that people had no idea how to find. Ultimately, employees would escape at a much higher rate than patrons because they didn't know where these hidden doors were. As far as most of the patrons knew, the only door that existed was the one they'd come in through. And if they managed to get there, what they found was devastating. A revolving door. (sighs) Have you ever noticed how revolving doors now have the doors always, on the side. Yes, they will always have a regular door with a panic bar next to it. Like is even this if, why? Yeah, this is why. I feel like half the time wherever it is we'll have a like a sign and be like, please only use this one or please only use that one. But they're always both there. And this is why. Oh yeah. I just had to go through one of those in um New Orleans 
like a week ago at the Marriott there. They're all like automatic now, which I hate. Yeah. Creeps me out too. Yeah. I I kind of love revolving doors, but I never really thought that much about why there's always a door next to it. This is why. Nobody was proceeding through the revolving door in an orderly fashion. People were burning. They were panicked. They were running for their lives. So they tried to push through on both sides of the door, sometimes dying as they tried, blocking and jamming the door completely. An incredibly dark line on Wikipedia says, The oxygen-hungry fire then leaped through the breach, incinerating whoever was left alive in the pile. Some people could see an exit, but they couldn't get to it because the current of the crowd panicking was too strong and it just pulled them in another direction. Like you were not in charge of where you went at all. It's like a wave, like a rip current. Uh Uh-huh. The crowd was so tight, people couldn't even raise their arms. They were just pressed to their sides. I feel like we just had something like that happen. At the Travis Scott concert? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I kept thinking about your, um, was it Victoria Hall? Yeah. Yeah, with the piles of kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other doors they could possibly reach only opened inwards. And I mean, same deal. Like the doors worked fine, but they were immediately blocked by people and bodies, which I mean, it's just so fucking frustrating. You know, I mean, I get it. I understand it. I'm not trying to be a dick or victim blame. It's just like, oh my God. Like if one person could have, you know, effectively been like, stand the fuck back, I'm opening the door. And we can all leave. People could have lived. It's just, I mean, I totally know like how this works. I've, I've read a lot about this, but it's just so frustrating. So they were trapped. One small blessing was the oversaturation of the area with soldiers. Because, I mean, they hadn't all been at the Coconut Grove. And they were all on the scene to help immediately. Another was that firefighters responded very quickly and accidentally as soon as they could because they were close by from a car fire in the area. One of the firefighters said, it was incredible. I couldn't go forward or to the right because of the bodies. I couldn't even get in with the hose. They were stacked seven to eight feet high. <sighs> Some were burned too thoroughly to even differentiate men and women. Wow. Arms and legs came off in rescuers' hands. It was a difficult scene in more ways than just psychological horror, just like logistically. The water from the hoses froze where it touched the ground and stuck the hoses themselves to the ice puddles. As the burning bodies were pulled out, they were sprayed with cold water from the hoses. And I mean, you know, some of them were alive, some of them weren't. Yeah. Um, In some cases, the contrast between the heated air inside and the frigid air outside was just too much. And, like, people got outside alive, but then they died as soon as they took a breath of air. I'm sure that was so shocking to their system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Firefighters who successfully made it into the building found a level of panic and desperation that were hard for even seasoned professionals to navigate. And some wound up with claw marks on the side of their faces and on their legs. From people just grabbing, grabbing at, at them. them. Yeah. When they finally gained access to the basement, which was the lounge, one firefighter found something unexpected. In his words, of all the vivid impressions made upon me that evening, perhaps the most unforgettable was when we first went down into the Melody Lounge. There, sitting at a table, was a very pretty girl. She was sitting with her eyes open and her hand on a cocktail glass, as if waiting for someone. At first, I looked at her and wondered why she was just sitting there, thinking she was okay. But, of course, she was dead. 
Less than two hours after the fire had started, the coconut grove was completely burned out and gutted. The sheer number of injured, dying, and dead people was pretty overwhelming to the city's infrastructure. The National Fire Protection Association wrote, For this disaster, the greatest challenge was the disposition of the human wreckage. The numbers of injured, dying, and dead were staggering beyond anyone's comprehension. People, both living and dead, were transported to the hospitals in all available vehicles that included ambulances, police cars, taxi cabs, private cars, and even newspaper delivery trucks. The Red Cross commandeered a hotel to run their operations out of. Firefighters broke into a nearby garage with a cold concrete floor and used it as a makeshift morgue. I We really need to add makeshift morgues to our bingo board. Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> I'm like, what a term, right? Yeah, makeshift but it's morgue. in like every episode. <laughs> right. Um, thankfully, the city had actually just done a mass casualty drill a week ago to prepare for possible wartime attacks, and it had gone really well. So emergency was actually very primed to respond in a lot of ways. And hospitals were, like, really well-stocked with supplies, more than they normally would be. Police blocked off the streets, and even survivors found themselves pretty much stuck. A survivor named Houston Gray, which is such a cool 40s name, who the fuck ever hears that, shared his story in the incredible write-up by the National Fire Protection Association, which said, As we walked up to the hotel, a cop in the front was talking to a civilian and said to him, They were all drunk. That's why they died. We were furious, all of us, and we gave him hell, says Gray. Their hats and coats weren't the only possessions lost in the fire. They also lost their car keys. The Red Cross arranged for rides, and Houston and Hilda Gray were driven home about an hour after they had left the scene at the Coconut Grove. The next day, Gray got a ride down to pick up his car on Berkeley Street using a spare set of keys. A number of cars were still there, and he paused for a moment and thought about their owners if they had survived. About a week after the fire, while at home, Gray received a call from the Boston Police Department. His keys, which had an ID tag on them, had been found. Wow. Yeah, that's such a spooky thing that I never thought about in a mass casualty event, like where everyone is at a place they don't live. And there's just going to be like cars. There's going to be a million fucking cars. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of this. I've never thought of that either. I've never thought of that. That's fucking eerie. Yeah. So... Most people were sent to one particular hospital, and originally I had it all in there, like who went to this hospital and who went to that hospital, but then I started finding things that directly contradicted each other about that, and I I, I can't get to the bottom of it, and I don't want to get it wrong. So, I mean, they were, they were sent to hospitals around the Boston area. One of them got most of them, but I cannot say with confidence which one. <laughs> I think it was Boston City Hospital. Um, some of them ended up at the same place that Barney was hospitalized after his heart attack. And they were rushed into the hospital that got the main number of admissions at a rate of one patient every 11 seconds. Mm. Most arriving patients were dead, but it wasn't always immediately obvious if they were dead or not. And morphine was kind of like step one of the triage for this kind of thing. So doctors administered morphine before they even had time to find out if people were alive or dead. And every patient or body who'd had it had an M written on their forehead and lipstick. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the victims who had been routed to that makeshift morgue in a garage turned out to be alive. I mean, people were just so bad off that, you know, they were sending 
definitely dead people to the hospital getting injected with morphines, morphine's morphine, and uh, living people to the morgue because it was just so hard to tell. I can't even imagine, like, waking up around a bunch of dead bodies. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. And, I mean, these these were some I mean, like, pretty gnarly dead hell? bodies. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? right? Like, yeah. what, what would be going through your mind? Like... I don't even know. I mean, I guess it would kind of depend on what you remember from what just happened. But yeah. Now, just one major burn victim is an incredibly fragile person and very high priority from a triage standpoint. Hundreds of them were just overwhelming. The human agony was palpable in the hospital. One reporter wrote, the moans of the dying were an undertone pierced by the screams of the living. And I think... That when we talk about these things, which, you know, we're always talking about these things, it's easy to forget the ways it would just overwhelm your senses in the immediate aftermath of a disaster. Like the sounds that we don't think about. The sounds, the smells. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. I remember someone in the Concordia episode talking about the sound of lifeboats slamming into the side of the ship and being like really fucked up by that sound. Mm -hmm. And I've heard, you know, in different ones a lot about people talking about how loud it is in a mass casualty event and then how quiet it is. And I just don't think maybe maybe it's just me, but I don't think our brains necessarily automatically fill in those details when we think about it. And I remember I was really taken aback when I watched a video from that same one, the Concordia episode, and how much of it was just crying children, just so much. And like you said, the smells, which would be very hard to handle in a mass casualty fire. And a lot of people who were at this said it was horrendous. So I really think that we don't, probably can't imagine the sounds and smells in the aftermath of this kind of thing. Probably a good thing. Yeah, probably so. Um, 166 people were hospitalized. And they ended up in a really interesting situation where it kind of couldn't hurt to throw any new experimental treatment at the burns that they could think of. Anything that might speed or improve healing because, I mean, they were stretched to their limit. And that is how medical staff ended up doing things like administering blood plasma and penicillin, which were super cutting edge for the time. Medical community had been especially interested in this kind of innovation because of the war. And this provided a nightmarishly large-scale opportunity to try some of it out. One hospital in particular, the one that received the largest number of admissions, um, patients were spread between several hospitals, but, you know, like I said, there were a lot at one. But the outcomes in different cohorts of burn victims who were treated in different ways at different hospitals provided an incredible wealth of new knowledge about burn treatment, like change the field forever. The scale that we use today to determine what percent of a person's body is covered by burns was developed as a result of Coconut Grove. Wow. Yeah. None of the patients were ever charged for treatment because the fire was seen as a community misfortune, which is so wonderful, but also makes me want to puke as far as where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? They would just bankrupt 130, 166 people now. They don't give a fuck. You know what still makes me big mad? Tell me. I like it when you're mad. Oh, I I deal with this when my father was passing away. Paying for parking in a hospital garage. Yes. Yes. Fucking me too. rages me. I'm me like, too. are you 
kidding me. It's so like fucking not predatory. Getting enough money from the shittiest of situations right now. Now you're gonna charge me a fuck ton of money to park my goddamn car. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, this is not something that people could be reasonably expected to budget for. I mean, you could be like, oh, you know, your animal needed vet care or something. Well, you should have budgeted for that. Sure. But like, you're super fucking poor and you're like, oh, you should have budgeted parking garage money for when your wife got in a car accident. Fuck yeah. off. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm mad too. Anyway, over a thousand people in the area donated <laughs> blood the next day. So again, donate blood. Oh, uh, well, real quick. If yeah. you can, if you I know can. we, yeah, some I know we can. put a lot of pressure out there, like with our patrons, like find your buddy, go donate blood. Listen, I can't donate blood right now because you know my recent C section. So I get it. If you can, yeah. I just think do I probably can't because nice. I'm pregnant. I don't know. I I wouldn't think you probably should. I feel like if you can't donate blood, then go donate, donate a some. <laughs> God, you're so extreme. Donate bone marrow. <laughs> I was going to say canned goods is sure. a good alternative yeah. at no, your local fine. food bank. Yeah. But I mean, maybe blood donation is our thing just because it saved my life. So, you know, this whole fucking podcast is brought to you by blood donation. But yeah. yeah, if you can do it, do it. But like, we're not trying to guilt anybody. Do something else if you can't. Like, donate a kidney. Fuck it. <laughs> One interesting aspect of the fire can't really be summarized so i will quote the nfpa article directly victims who had succumbed to respiratory tract injuries were significant much to the dismay of medical staff the effects of these injuries were often delayed and involved individuals who showed very little outward signs of being in danger a number of these victims had walked into emergency rooms under their own power and were put aside for patients who were more obviously hurt only to succumb shortly thereafter Postmortem examinations revealed a strange pattern of massive pulmonary edema that developed late and suddenly. This suggested the effects of poison gases, much like the effects of the deadly poison gases used in the First World War. Similar in occurrence was a strange loss of life encountered in the 1929 Cleveland Clinic fire that killed 125. This involved x-ray films that released, fuck if I know how to say this, phosgene gas into the, that's, that's a direct quote from the article, into the <laughs> ventilation system. With Coconut Grove, the suspicions that somehow, perhaps from the pyrolysis of the interior finish, a deadly poisonous gas had been released. It was apparent that many of the hospitalized patients had inhaled a toxic substance. These victims developed post-traumatic pulmonary injury and required constant monitoring. <sighs> now, do you want to hear a little short side story that... When I read this, every sentence I got into this, my eyebrows got higher and higher. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> One patient named Clifford, such a cute name. I have a cousin, Clifford. Oh, had, hopefully not the same one, had burns on 55% of his body, which was considered unsurvivable at the time, but now has a greater than 50% survival rate, honestly, largely in part because of Coconut Grove. Okay quarter of his body was burned to the bone oh he got cutting edge treatment which included the care of a nurse name okay hold on hold on i i forgot to put something in here but this will also affect your eyebrows so i do need to mention this um part of the reason that he was so burned is because he kept going back into the building for his date but it turned out she was already out oh clifford so, yeah poor fucking clifford so i'm like 
Well, they better have gotten married after that. I hope so. Yeah. Well, he got cutting edge treatment, which included the care of a nurse named Marion. Oh. When he recovered, they got married. (gasps) And he got 14 more years of life before he lost control of his truck, delivering fuel oil for work and burned to death inside the cab. No. Yes. Final fucking destination, Melanie. (laughs) Yeah. So every sentence of that got wilder and wilder. Yes. Okay. So glad we're laughing. Things that take you out. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, speaking of being taken out, 492 people died in the Coconut Grove. That's a lot of people. 32 more people than the maximum capacity of the club. Oh, 51 were servicemen home on leave, majority Navy, but some from pretty much every branch. Hundreds were injured. I came across a statistic that there's an expected ratio for death and injuries in a disaster, which is super fascinating to me and probably you. And apparently it is three to five injured per one death. And horrifyingly, those numbers were flipped at the Grove. Oh. 17 couples were killed. Oh, you did pull a Melanie. Mm-hmm. One had just been married that day. What? Yeah. One movie star was killed. One family lost all four of their children, who were all four sons, who were all home on leave. Um, the last death didn't come until six months after the fire, when a woman who had, quote, grave burns finally succumbed to her injuries at Boston City Hospital. Wow. Yeah, so here's... A shitty epilogue. I mean, some of it's shitty. It's mostly shitty. Daniel, Barney's med student nephew who landed on the bodies jumping over the counter, survived and went on to become a prominent psychiatrist. So that's cool. He was in med school. I guess he went that route. I don't know if that was his plan to begin with. Stanley, the teenage busboy, survived. The one who lit the match. But his life was destroyed by the fire. Um, I can imagine. His name was publicly released as being the one who caused the fire. Are you serious? Yep. Well, I mean, obviously we're talking about it, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he was tormented for it for the rest of his life. Um, 30 years after the fire, he said, I've suffered enough, been spit on, called every name in the book, and been threatened. He never stopped visiting the graves of the 492 dead for most of his life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Barney, the owner, was the only one actually convicted, and he served a short prison sentence before he was pardoned by his bestie, the mayor, when Barney had advanced cancer. He was released and gave a statement to reporters on the steps outside saying that he wished he died in the fire, and two months later, he did die from his illness. Even if Stanley's match was what started the fire, no one would ever really know why it spread the way it did, and there are countless theories. Investigators were so desperate for an investigation that they crowdsourced theories from responding firefighters and came up with everything from fumes from so much booze to German interference fueled by some mysterious fires in the area, as well as the concern that having so many servicemen in one place might make the place a target, which is, you know. An interesting point. Old-timey conspiracy theories. Yeah, old-timey conspiracy theories. The Boston Fire Department's inspector, who had inspected the club and rated it good eight days before the fire, was charged with accessory after the fact of manslaughter and willful neglect of duty, but he was found not guilty. 
The community was so disturbed by the fire that the Boston Licensing Board ruled that no businesses in the area could ever name themselves Coconut Grove again. Oh, wow. Yeah. In addition to the changes about doors next to revolving doors, there were also some other pretty major changes as far as very bold, illuminated exit signs that could be seen through thick smoke and changes in material allowed allowed in decorating. Obviously, some changes as far as like just exits existing at all, outward opening doors. And I mean, it, I don't think I can really emphasize enough how world changing it was for burn treatment. Like half of what we know about burn treatment came from Coconut Grove. Yeah. Um, And I believe to this day, the disaster stands as the second deadliest single building fire in American history. Incredible. Are you sad you didn't cover it? No. You did so good. <laughs> Thank you. I was very nervous about this one because it's a pretty pretty frequently covered thing. I haven't really done a lot that have been extensively covered like on other podcasts. You've done more like that than I have. It feels good though, right? I hope. I don't know. <laughs> I think you did excellent job. I, I loved know it. Let's Go to Court did it. And I know my favorite murder did it. But And I was like, maybe I should listen to those and make sure I'm doing a good enough job. And then I was like, no, I can't. I, I always have a rule about I won't listen to other podcasts about it because I feel like it's just going to like alter the way I cover it too much. Right. But I was tempted this time. I almost listened to some other ones about it. And then I was like, nope, you know what? Nope. It, it's going to be what it is. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was dark though. It was real dark. Super dark. Yeah, I think we need some disaster relief. Oh, for sure. Okay, you want to go first or me? Um, uh, it doesn't matter. You got you yours. Go yeah, I've got mine. Um, I have a twofer actually. Ooh. Oh, I just can't pick, so I'm gonna go for both. The first one is fruit. fruit oh man i've been having we all know i've been having such a bad time with eating like such a bad time um i've lost 18 pounds in the past few weeks from being pregnant it's bananas yeah i mean it's not like i don't have 18 pounds to lose but like i certainly wasn't trying and it's only coming from simply not eating um worst yeah i you know everything sounds terrible I'm always gaggy and miserable. Food aversions, like, holy shit, food aversions. I've had, like, two or three cravings, which is bullshit. I had great cravings with Adelaide. But I have discovered fruit. (laughs) 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 I was aware of fruit before this, but I've discovered that I can eat fruit, lots of fruit. And let's see, I've been eating a lot of cantaloupe, like a lot of cantaloupe. I've been eating cut up bananas with a little bit of chocolate sauce on them hear me out i think bananas taste better cut up me too like you get the that sweet yes yes i know exactly what you mean and you don't need to explain it because anyone who doesn't get it will never get it but i get it tell me your feelings on green to ripe on the oh on the banana yeah like how green do you like it I like mine perfectly yellow. I like mine a bit green. Ew. <laughs> I don't know why people are grossed out by that. It's delicious. It tastes I mean, fresh. No. The 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 older the banana, no. the sweeter the mush. Let me tell uh, you. I mean, no. No. 
If I could I, stomach a brown banana, no, I mean, I would, I would do it. I would. Okay, don't put me off bananas. No. Well, there's bananas a. I'm not, friend. but there's a reason why you want older bananas for banana bread. Yeah, for banana bread, but not. I mean, not for my mouth. I understand that my green preference is controversial, but so is wanting to eat a mushy banana. You yucky girl. All right. <laughs> Let's see what else. Um, grapes. I've been eating the hell out of grapes. Watermelon. A lot of watermelon. Mm. Apples. Apples and peanut so butter good. so I can even have a little bit of protein. We recently got one of those little apple slicer things. Yeah, me too. I mean, not recently. I've always had one, but it's so good. So, yeah. Fruit is number one. All the different things you can dip fruit in. Although, fuck it. You can just eat fruit. It's juicy. It's refreshing. It gives you some glucose so you don't die. <laughs> It's so good. Oh, my God. I love fruit so much. It's like maybe literally saving my life right now. I don't I, I've eaten almost nothing but fruit today, but I have eaten a lot of fruit. And for me, that's really great right now. So I'm happy for you. Yeah. Genuinely. You've, I went to Walmart the other day. <sighs> so, yeah, my husband and my daughter were picking out sweet potatoes to make the casserole, which, by the way, spent $14 on sweet potatoes, only to find out that my mom, hi, mom, is for some reason also making sweet potatoes. Oh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, Thanksgiving. And I, she's like, you probably don't need to make sweet potatoes. And I'm like, I hate every second of sweet potatoes, but I've spent $14 on them. Like, it's happening at this point. You better fucking eat my sweet potatoes. Yeah. No, no, like... Uh, there's always a, a sweet potato. I always make a lot. It's never enough. So I have enough for two pans. And she's like, oh, no, I'm making the sweet potatoes. Lady, you knew I was making sweet potatoes. Anyway, that is the bone that I will publicly pick with my mother right here right now because she listens. Anyway, so they're over there picking out sweet potatoes. And I was like, you guys do this. And I am going to go fuck off and walk around the produce section and gather fruit like I'm some weird harvester lady in the early days of the world. So I'm walking around and I'm just like getting fruit and fruit and fruit and fruit, like so much fruit, like too much fruit to carry. And I come back and I put all the fruit like neatly in the bottom of the cart next to them. And then he's like, um, that's not our cart. Oh, like, no. oh shit. <laughs> so someone else's cart had a lot of fruit, like an unreasonable amount of fruit. So I had to move all my fruit, but it was worth it. Anyway. Oh, I thought one. you were going to say you ditched it. <laughs> no. Oh, I would never ditch my fruit. I would have fist fought somebody for that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I had, no, I had selected the ripest cantaloupe available. It, it, it was going home with me the end. So that fruit is part one. We had to start the episode late because I needed to make love to an apple. So, you know. Part two, Shameless. Do you watch it? No. Oh, Melanie. Cody started it, and then he was like, you need to watch it too. And it's just one of those things that just hasn't happened yet. That's like every show. You guys have so many shows you're saving to watch together and never watching. It's his fault. It is. My husband hates Shameless. Like, with a burning passion, he won't even be in the house if I'm watching it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't just not want to watch it with me. He he doesn't even want to overhear it from another room. Wow. Yes. But <laughs> I have waited 
so fucking long for the last season. It's the last season ever. And it's like season 11 or 12. And it's so good so far. I'm like halfway through it and it's been getting me through a lot of pukey mornings. And yeah, it's really good. And I, you don't know what I'm talking about. The person who's editing this is probably clenching his fists right now. But for everybody else who listens, who loves me, oh my God, I'm such a Galovich fan. (laughs) Oh man. Um, And they... They they had ended Galovich for a while, and then they basically uh, caved to fan pressure and brought it back in the most fucking delightful way. And I'm just living for it. I'm living for it. And in case you didn't know, it's finally on Netflix, anybody. So go watch it. You're welcome. And go have some fruit. I'm still plowing through 911. Do you have any more trash-ass opinions? I have a lot, but I'm like, <laughs> to myself. <laughs> no! Yeah. I want all your trash ass opinions. Mm-hmm. For yep. all you know, I might agree as long as they're not about Bobby. Exactly. So they're all about Bobby? He's terrible. You're terrible. You're a bad person. Tell me your disaster relief. All right. So this weekend, I finally went to a place that I have been wanting to go called Jam and Nola, which is basically a joy of art and music in New Orleans. And it's a pop-up museum in the Bywater neighborhood of New Orleans. So it's, it is one of the coolest. I haven't been to this area in New Orleans yet. So much graffiti, (laughs) like beautiful murals. It is, I mean, it's breathtaking. I've, it's, I, I don't even know what to say, but your your pictures from this thing were fucking magical. Uh, I just I want to live there. I want to move in. I so, think you should. I think you would be a great addition to it. Yeah. So the the pop up museum, um, it's all about New Orleans culture. Um, there's like 29 artists. Um, there's like 11 different rooms. Um, they have one artist who has like this crazy wallpaper. He has one where you can actually like buy the wallpaper, but then he has like special ones that he did just for the museum. Real trippy, like black light, like the floors are made out of Mardi Gras beads. Oh my God. It's so neat. Um, there's a spirit tree room, which was my favorite room where when you walked in, there was like these little, so the walls are white and they have like these, it looks like gray petals all over. And when you walk in, there's like a, almost like a white, like a white square pedestal with like a little bucket of pencils and then matching like gray pieces of paper that look like the petals on the wall. And you basically just write like a wish or a hope and then you just stick it on the wall. So it's like very interactive. That's cool. I love things like that. It was just, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, if you go to New Orleans and you don't check this out, you are missing out on something incredible. It is such a hidden gem. That's so cool. I mean, I I hope that you post some pictures from it because your pictures, like, I, I stopped in my tracks and you sent me those. I was like, holy shit, this is cool. <laughs> it's so neat. And then there's like, um, there's a part where they get into just kind of, there's a room with this guy who had documented Mardi Gras for like 30 years and the different crews and the costuming. And it's just, I don't know, at the end, there's like, like New Orleans legends. And there's like this 
massive like sculpture like Little Wayne, which I found out I didn't realize <laughs> he was from New Orleans. I don't know. It's just cool. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. I just It was really cool. Please, please post pictures. Yeah, it's it's just trippy and it makes you happy as soon as you walked in. The staff was incredible. Yeah, I just I don't even know. I love it. I love it. That's it looks mine. so cool. I want to go back a million time. times. Are you going to go back? Oh, hell yes. Like if I could go back like right now I would. <laughs> it's one of those places where I feel like you'd see something different every time. There's 11 yeah. rooms and yeah. then there's like most of it's interactive. Like they have at the end, they have this, you know, like the red carpet, like when they do red carpet for awards and stuff, yeah. they do that like slow motion video. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever I seen that? Maybe. Well, they have this pedestal at the end where you can like try on all these crazy Mardi Gras hats. There's all these props and stuff and you stand on it and it does that spinny slow-mo thing. Oh my God, that's cool. Yeah. So I did that. And then, you know, they, they link you, you get all that, the digital stuff. They send it right to your phone. It's just genius. Gosh, I'm going to come to New Orleans. I think you would love it. (laughs) I think I probably would. They have, like, life-size, like, crawfish. You can take a bubble bath with them. <laughs> of course you did. Of course. <laughs> so. Oh, that's a perfect disaster relief. Mm-hmm. Yes. Meanwhile, it was safe. The exits, were, the exits were bright. I knew where to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. shit. Excellent job. Um, we have a couple Patreons to s- shout out. So I have one buddy system today, and it's Yay. probably one of the cutest so sunshine fox we all love her um you got to meet her yes um she leveled up her uh subscription so thank you for that and your buddy this is cute your buddy is wiley but on his name on patreon there's a little sun emoji oh my what if he what if he wanted to be matched with sunshine and he's like stalking her a little I doubt it. Why do I always have to go somewhere bad with things? No, that's the cutest fucking thing. (laughs) It's the cutest thing. So you guys are buddies. Yes. Go donate some blood Mm -hmm. or some canned goods. Yeah. And if you can't, I mean, I'll go donate blood to Sunshine. We live right by each other. (laughs) Give your kidneys. I'm Yeah. See? Okay. My husband's a dialysis nurse. Like this, this is very, this works for me. We can do this. Mm -hmm. Give of yourself. Yes. We'll rent a hotel room. We'll throw some ice in a bathtub. Oh, I almost did that in my Urban Legends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we need to go to bed. Yes. Not together. I made that sound really dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe together. Maybe together. All right. Sweet dreams or no dreams? Sweet dreams or no dreams? Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us, too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.